Welcome to Five to Thrive, five strategies to equip and empower educators, parents, and students to thrive. And here are your hosts, Dr. Rhoda and Professor Marty. Welcome back. Uh, today's topic, I guarantee that you can use it every single day of your life. It's an occurrence that happens all the time. It's conflict, or, or you can look at it as conflict resolution. But what's really fascinating to me and what Dr. Rhoda is going to talk about today is that there are distinct styles and knowing those styles, understanding those styles, knowing your own style can all give you a better awareness on how to approach conflict and conflict resolution. So once again, here's Dr. Rhoda. As you mentioned, Professor Marty, that conflict is unavoidable. This side of heaven, we're going to have it, right? We will have it. And even Christians, you know, we, we regularly have conflict. So I think we see a great example of this in the book of Acts. I love the, when it talks about Paul and Barnabas, and just to give a little bit of background on this. So, you know, Paul's on the road to Damascus. He has his conversion experience. He goes off, he's studying. Barnabas is known, like Barnabas stands for the word um, encourager is what Barnabas means. So I actually have a little nickname. I call him Barney. <laughs> he just seems like this happy, friendly, encouraging kind of guy every time I see him throughout scripture. He introduces Paul to the rest of the disciples. So Paul hasn't met Peter and James and John and all of them yet. So he, Bar Barnabas is the one that makes that introduction. And Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey, and they take Barnabas's cousin, John Mark, along with them. For some reason, we don't know why, but Mark decides to leave early. I don't know if he was homesick. Maybe somebody back home was, was sick or somebody died or he became sick or he just realized this traveling life wasn't for him. Whatever reason it was, he took off. Paul and Barnabas finish out their journey. And when it comes time for their next missionary journey, Barnabas wants Mark to come along and Paul does not. So we have a perfect example of conflict or disagreement. And so they decide to split up. Barnabas heads out with Mark and Paul heads out on another trip and he takes Silas along and they go to separate places. So what I think is important for us to remember here, they had conflict, they had a disagreement, but each of them went away and worked faithfully. They didn't go defame or spread rumors. And in an interesting way, twice as much ministry was done because now you had two teams going out and doing it. I also love that we see at the end of Paul's life, when Paul is in prison and he knows that the end of his life is getting very near, he asks for Mark to come visit him. He says Mark brings him comfort. And so we witness reconciliation. Sometime throughout their lifetime, they mended their little rift. And at the end of life, Mark is of great comfort to Paul, which is a beautiful thing. So this is what is possible when we handle conflict in a God-pleasing way. And, and what is so amazing to me is... Oftentimes you hear about, oh, that happened in the past. What, what, what real life applications? And here we have a, a great, great example on conflict, conflict resolution, and the Lord really blessing the process in, in, in ways that I hadn't even thought of. Yeah, absolutely. So what do we do when we have conflict? How do we handle it? And as you mentioned in the intro, Professor Marty, we each have a default conflict style. What's our comfort zone? With conflict. And there are a lot of different instruments available to help us determine how we react within conflict. But there's one simple one that I use in my classes. I use this in my workshops. I use it in my graduate class. And we're going to put a link to this resource. If you go to our website, which is www.5 to thrive. So it's the number five and then spelled out T-O-T-H-R-I-V-E-E. -E. R-I-V-E-E, -E, yeah, .net. So www.5tothrive.net. It's using letters for all those except the number five, okay? If you go there, you can download a copy. 
and you can take the assessment. It takes about five minutes. It's real simple. And But I, I suspect that even if you haven't taken the assessment as we talk through this today, you're going to kind of see in the different styles and you'll, you'll probably kind of gravitate towards one that feels like you. And, and when you're at that website, two things. Uh, oftentimes when you type it in, people forget that it's .net mm-hmm. and just put in or by default .com. It's .net to get to the right site. Mm-hmm. And it will be labeled as a resource tab on the top of the website in the upper right-hand corner if yeah. everything works like it's supposed to. That's right. Go to the website, look under resources, and you'll be able to see this. I'm going to go through the five different styles. Like I said, I suspect you probably already have a pretty good notion of what's your default style as I go through these. We're all capable of all of these styles. And ideally, we use different styles in different situations. But you have that one, or I have that one, sometimes there's two that are pretty close, that are kind of our defaults. That's where we're really most comfortable. And when you are in conflict with a peer or someone who's kind of in an equal plane of equality with you, this is how you typically react. Now, I know that we react with conflict differently with a supervisor than we do with a, with a, a husband or wife, different than we do with a sibling, different than we do with a child. So as you take this assessment, one of the key things is make sure that you're, as you're answering the questions, answer them like it would be somebody who's at the same power level as you, like maybe a sibling works pretty well. So, so for you teachers out there mm-hmm. in the classroom, it, it, it's fascinating if you think like your teacher mind when you take this, you will be really amazed when you compare the results for your, with your fellow colleagues because they're not they're not going to be all the same. Even though there's a lot of unanimity among teachers, with this one, there there's not like one style that uh, the majority of teachers use. Yes. And I was just doing some coaching with uh, some teachers this past week, and we were talking about this. And one of them said, man, I wish I'd have taken this in pre-marriage counseling. (laughs) This makes so much sense with my spouse. And just again, remember, there's no right or wrong style. It's how God's created us. He's made us different. But we want to be aware of our style because then it helps us resolve conflict when it arises. Just to give you an example of this, my dominant default style is accommodator, followed up closely by problem solver. And so as an accommodator, I just always want everyone to be happy. And everybody just do what you're supposed to do and everything's going to be fine. However, in a classroom, I need to be very aware that this this is my comfort and default style. And because of that, sometimes I'm going to have to tackle correction head on when it's not something I'm crazy about doing. And so that helps me to know that. As the professional, I need to not um, try to smooth everything over, but I need to deal with things when they happen. So that helps me. Uh, and so hopefully this will be helpful for you as, as well. So here are the five default styles. So which one are you? The five are the avoider, which is pictured by like a turtle pulling everything inside their shell. To, just to humor people, we, we did this once and one of the person, people were asked to play, the teacher was asked to play the role, the avoider, and he, he left the room and he didn't come back. So, <laughs> so just, just a little humor there. There's the forcer and the forcer uh, is pictured by a shark. There's a bargainer, which is pictured by a sly fox. The accommodator is pictured by the teddy bear. And the problem solver is pictured by like a wise owl. So let's talk about each one in a little more detail. And remember, you can go to our website at www.52thrive.net to download this assessment. And then you'll know with certainty which one you are. So the avoider, that turtle. It is good to be an avoider. It is a positive thing to avoid conflict when the issue is trivial or unimportant. Or when more important issues are pressing, you want to have some time to let people cool down, and when you need some time to gather some more information. So some people, this drives them nuts not to resolve a conflict right away. The avoider's okay with that. 
They're like, we don't have to resolve this today. Let's just everybody cool down and we'll come back and talk about it tomorrow. So that's very good to be an avoider in those cases. We want to be aware as an avoider of some of the abuses or some of the drawbacks of it. We can sidestep the issue. We can change the topic. We can think, oh, if I just ignore it long enough, it'll go away. We can sometimes make a joke out of it like it doesn't really bother us. And sometimes if we're not addressing it, if we're avoiding it, it can give other people the sense that they're always right. And sometimes we have a really valid reason to be upset. And I'd like to just pause here and, and think about the last meeting you were at. Was there anyone there that had those characteristics? And how did you perceive them? Because you can perceive these positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that, we, that, that, like Dr. Rhoda said, it has value in set circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. The next one on our list was the forcer. That's pictured by the shark. It is good to be a forcer when quick, decisive action is needed. When you're in an emergency, one of my very dear friends is a retired police officer, and he is the poster child for forcer. And, you know, when you're in a violent situation, you don't want to, you know, sir, could you please put that gun down? That's not very nice to point it at people. You know, you need to have very quick, decisive action, and you need to know that what you're doing is the right thing to do. When unpopular action is needed, if you have to discipline something, someone, if you need to make budget cuts... I'm not saying it's easy for forcers, but it's easier for forcers than it is for some of the others. They're just a little more comfortable. And I think administrators who really have this as a strength in 2008 with the economic downturn were were really of value for districts because they could make those really tough choices. And there wasn't the luxury of time to to go through the whole process of of discussion. Yep, absolutely. You want to be aware, though, if you're a forcer, the times when it's not so good, some of the drawbacks... You can become kind of individualistic and, you know, express your self-interest at the expense of others, kind of my way or the highway. It's easy sometimes to become competitive and one-upsmanship, or it becomes, uh, I'm going to win, you're going to lose, I'm right, you're wrong. So we just need to be aware of that, that um, the goal is not reaching the goal no matter the cost. Mm -hmm. And so that can be sometimes a little bit of a challenge for forcers. So very positive in some situations. In other situations, we want to be aware of what the challenges are. And it's a really good point. Perception, too. You may think that you're doing this for the good of everyone else, but just be aware that you may be perceived as, look, here's another individual who's going to win at all costs. So just Mm -hmm. be sensitive to the perception others have of you. Perfect point. The bargainer, which is pictured by the fox, it is good to be a bargainer. So when you have two people that are very far apart on what they want and you're trying to bring them towards the center and find some kind of mutual agreement or understanding, the bargainer can do this. When people are strongly committed to mutually exclusive goals and you're trying to find some common ground. Uh, When a temporary settlement is needed, bargainers can sometimes negotiate that. Um, When time is an issue, you don't have a lot of time. Be aware, though, some of the drawbacks to bargaining. Sometimes when everybody... When nobody really gets what they want because everybody's had to bargain and find some common ground, then they might not be super committed to the goals. Like, well, this wasn't my idea. I thought we should do something else, right? And so, and sometimes old conflicts can emerge under new conflicts. You know, I compromised last time. And so just be aware of that if you're the bargainer. The accommodator is pictured by the teddy bear. It is good to be an accommodator when the issue is more important to the other person. Sometimes if you just really don't feel super strongly, accommodators handle that really well. Uh... If you really don't care where you go to eat, you're just hungry, right? Uh, you need to help maintain a cooperative relationship, get that team building going on when preserving harmony and avoiding disruption are needed. Our accommodators are really good at that. The drawbacks to being an accommodator is sometimes we're not asserting our own needs. We really did want to go to a certain restaurant. We didn't say it because we wanted to keep the peace. It can cause bitterness, resentment, or grudges. I kind of think both for accommodators and avoiders, 
we have to be pretty careful that we don't start to waver in, wander into passive aggressive territory where I didn't tell you what I really wanted, but I'm kind of annoyed that you didn't know. Mm -hmm. Like you should have known what I wanted, even though I didn't express it. So we have to be aware of that. And then we can take blame sometimes, even if we're not responsible, just because, you know what, I'll take the blame that everybody will be happy. We'll move on. And, and so your responsibility as you become familiar or, or review these are if someone is an accommodator, then make sure that you professionally have the tact to draw out what they truly think in a manner that's valuable and, and not embarrassing to that individual so that your school really makes good decisions. Yeah. I love that you're always looking at it from that administrator view. That's awesome. And then problem solvers are pictured by the owl. So it's really good to be a problem solver when concerns are just too important to be compromised, when you need to work through some hard feelings, when you need help in really gaining people's commitment towards something, when you're trying to get everybody involved, you're being assertive yet flexible. Really, there's only one drawback to problem solving, and that's it takes a lot of time and energy. And sometimes you just don't have that. Sometimes a quick decision needs to be made, or sometimes you just need to avoid something. And so I've, I've seen this play out on a practical level in a faculty meeting where everybody will have two minutes to speak, mm -hmm. and then they discuss it. And so you're not having one person dominate. It's a way to give equal voice. Uh, but you're right. It takes time. Yeah. And in this fast-paced world, and... it's really priority. What has to be addressed? What's long-term? What's short-term? Yeah. So there again, what's, what's our goal here? What do we need to accomplish? And then which style is going to best serve? You probably use a different style with students than you do with your spouse sometimes, you know, but, but we want to know what our default is. What's our comfort zone? What do we naturally go to? And then when we're aware of that, we can make other choices when it doesn't serve us well. So this is helpful information again, because once we know what our default or our most comfortable style is, we can be aware, we can figure out what's appropriate and how we want to react. It's good to think through different scenarios in advance. And to be able to think about how we're going to handle conflict when it arises in advance while our brains are in the optimum state for doing this. But that is what we're going to talk about next week. So how to handle conflict with the thinking part of your brain instead of the fighting part of your brain. Our goal in Five to Thrive is to equip and support educators and parents as they help each child develop to his or her full God-given potential. So here are five takeaways from today's episode. Number one. Take the time and the awareness to realize that conflict is unavoidable. And yet we certainly can embrace conflict if we know several things. Number two, the first thing that we need to do out of the gates is take the assessment so that we know uh, what conflict management styles we have a tendency to have. Number three, now that you know what your conflict management style is, or primarily is, think about and be aware of how your actions are perceived by others. And number four, reflect on the individuals you work with and think, what can you do to best work with other individuals based on what their conflict management style is? And number five, it's so important, Talk to your colleagues about this topic. Talk to your colleagues about uh, conflict management styles and, and come up with realistic ways that, that you can address conflict knowing what your conflict management styles are. Thanks for taking the time to learn with us. Let us know how you're doing. If you have questions, challenges, or successes you want to share, please let us know through the comment section of our website. May your week be blessed.